And so we were directed and everything that we did in the facility was directed with the purpose of steering that woman towards the choice of abortion. And we were supposed to assume that if a woman came in, that abortion was what her choice was. Welcome to Dear Jane. I'm your host, Scott Baker. Did you know that there are hundreds of people who have left the abortion industry and are active in the pro-life movement today? While that's great news, you may be surprised to learn just how difficult it is to make that switch. There's blacklisting, intimidation, and other scare tactics that make it difficult for people who want to get out. But thanks to an organization called And Then There Were None, there are resources and people who can help. And Then There Were None was started by Abby Johnson, who herself was a former abortion worker. It's staffed by people who used to be in the abortion industry and have made the switch themselves. Today, Kelly Lester, who is the Director of Outreach, joins us here on Dear Jane. Kelly, let's start at the beginning. What is it like to work at an abortion clinic? Um, well, it is, um, it's complicated, <laughs> actually. It's because, you know, people that work in the abortion industry, um, they feel when they start, they feel as passionate and as right about what they are doing as those who stand outside of abortion facilities and um, try to offer help. So you have to understand that when you work there, you, at least in the beginning for me and and everyone I've spoken with, you, you really feel like you are helping women. You really feel like you are doing what's best for women, and you really feel like you are supporting women in a good choice and a good option. Um, So there's that side of it, but then there's the other side, um, and the facility that I worked in, this was definitely the case, we did not provide any services outside of abortions. So when we did a you know, an ultrasound or an STD test or a pregnancy test or anything that was a service that was only tied to an abortion. So like a woman couldn't just come in and get an ultrasound or a pregnancy test. And so we were directed and everything that we did in the facility was directed with the purpose of steering that woman towards the choice of abortion. And we were supposed to assume that if a woman came in that abortion was what her choice was. And so on one hand, you're there helping women. On the other hand, you are being guided and told that abortion is the best and only option for her. And through that process, you see that it's not always the best and only option for her. I mean, even as somebody working in the facility, of course, now we know that it's never the best or only option. But when you're there, you start to see that. And so there's kind of this um, this battle within you about what you are doing. Now, you are also seeing terrible things. You are witnessing women who've been raped. You are seeing girls who are underage that are coming in for sometimes their fourth, fifth abortion. You are seeing women who are very definitely and obviously being abused at home by their partner. Um, And you're seeing all of this, women that are drug addicted. And the answer to that in this situation is abortion, not getting them help, not getting them safe, not taking care of 
those other needs, the only thing that you are doing is providing them an abortion. So you see a lot of hard things and then add to that the actual abortion itself, add to it the actual procedure, add to it the women who are hemorrhaging in the recovery room. Um, You add all of that to it. And it's a very difficult environment to work in. And it is a spiritually dark place. I mean, there is a tangible darkness inside of abortion facilities. And as a worker, whether or not you're, you know, spiritually aware, there is definitely, there is a difference. Um, And so it is a very, um, it's a very complicated and complex place to work. You say when when people go in, when they first start their employment there, they're true believers. I mean, in terms of they they really believe that they're there, they're doing the right thing. They're there to help women, that sort of thing. Um, what are some of the common stories that you have heard on on when it changed? Is there an event where it flips the script? Does it happen over time? I mean, what what are some of the things? What about happened for you and some of the stories that you have heard? Yeah, it definitely depends person from person. I mean, every single person I know that has worked in the abortion industry went in thinking they were going to help women. That's across the board. Why they left the industry is uh, many different reasons. Um, One, you know, they had a traumatic experience. So there, um, I've heard stories of, you know, a an abortion on a baby that was 26 weeks, 28 weeks. um, And that was a trigger for them. Um, Another good friend of mine, she had a a woman who came in as a client who was coming in basically for her prenatal care and getting the ultrasounds every couple of weeks, which was not common for their, um, their facility. And so this worker saw this baby go from, you know, a little blob on the screen to being a fully, fully formed, fully visible, obvious baby. And then the woman got a negative diagnosis from the hospital, a negative fetal diagnosis, and they and then came to the same facility to have her abortion. And later on, it was found out that that fetal diagnosis was wrong and that the file was not hers, it was somebody else's. And so that opened this worker's eyes. Um, sometimes it's the quality of the healthcare that's going on in there or the lack of healthcare. Doctors that are shaking, that are... Um, that are not able to perform their duties and and other staff having to step in for them. Sometimes it's just um, like another friend of mine was working in the POC room, going, you know, inventorying the the products of the uterus. And in that looked out a window and saw the Virgin Mary and she was a Catholic and it, you know, it triggered something in her and she left. Um, Sometimes it's, you know, it's it's a lot of different reasons. For me, it was a gradual thing. It was definitely not one thing that happened. It was going in thinking that I was going to be helping women, going in wanting to, um, you know, do good things for women and seeing the manipulation that was happening, seeing the um, the way that we were lying to women and and making everything set so that like we would edit magazines. So we would cut out pictures of happy couples or anything that might cue her to keep this child. We would turn the air conditioning or the heat on an extreme temperature so that her partner would leave because they would have to come in first day for one appointment, then come back for the actual procedure. And we didn't want him there waiting for her because the thought was, and this is what we would tell her, if he won't even wait for you for this appointment, what makes you think he's going to support you for a child? 
And so it was very manipulative. But the thing that actually made me finally leave was the women that were hemorrhaging in the recovery room, seeing the women with perforated uteruses and perforated bowels that were hemorrhaging in the waiting room. And what our procedure was is we would take them back to the procedure room. We would repair whatever had gone wrong. And then we would send them on their way without ever telling them what had happened. And I realized that we were not only ending their pregnancy that day, but for many of these women, we were ending the potential of them ever becoming mothers. And I was a woman who had had an abortion there. And so my thought was, well, did that happen to me? And I even went and looked at my file to see if it had happened to me. And I, you know, that was always a big thing for me was honesty, being able to trust, knowing, you know, that you were somebody that had my back. And I saw that we didn't have these women's back. And that was what caused me to leave. So it sounds like, you know, the other side is called pro-choice, but it sounds like really it's not that at all. There, There is an end goal in mind. They're pushing abortion. I mean, that's really what the end goal was, at least in in, in your experience. You think that's pretty universal across oh, the think, abortion clinics? No, absolutely. Well, and they have changed. They're no longer calling themselves pro-choice. They are now calling themselves abortion rights. They are now saying that they are pro-abortion. That whole mantra that was, you know, we want to make it safe, rare, and legal, that is not the mantra anymore. It's now abortion on demand without apology. Abortion is unstoppable. It's no longer choice. It is now we want women to be able to have abortions. And so, yes, I think what was happening years ago when I was working in the facility and what we've had over 600 and I think now 30 workers leave the abortion industry and all of us have the same stories that it was, we are pro-abortion. We wanted to push abortion, push women to abortion. And if you started recommending that women take other choices like adoption or parenting, then you were terminated because that does not further their narrative. You describe the scene and you describe many, many issues. And so this might seem like a no-brainer <laughs> question, but the emotional scars that come from that experience um, sort of take us through that a little bit. I mean, what, what is that like? I mean, what are, what are some of the experiences that you and others have had um, in the aftermath of dealing with all that? Well, there's, I mean, there's a lot. So the, the number of, um, of workers with drug addiction, alcoholism, suicidal tendencies um, is is very, very high because that's what you do. You know, that's what we would do to cope with um, what we did. And so, um, you know, a lot of healing has come apart from that for myself personally. Um, I went through a lot of healing before um, I got healing for actually working in the abortion industry. And that's what led me to, and then there were none, was I was working in a pregnancy resource center and had told people about my story, which includes drug addiction, includes rape, molestation, homosexuality, domestic violence, I mean, all the things. And I had gotten healing in all of those areas. But the one area that I'd never gotten healing on was working in the abortion industry, because that was like the unpardonable sin, that if I would tell people I'd had four abortions, they didn't look at me differently. But if I told them that I worked in the abortion industry, their face would change. It was like I was the bad guy. And even in my abortion healings, we would talk about forgiving the abortion worker and, you know, about the abortion worker. And so here I am in these abortion, you know, healings 
And on one hand, I'm getting free from the, uh, you know, the guilt of my abortion. But on the other hand, I'm getting added shame and guilt from working in the abortion industry. So that was, I was working in the PRC. We did the movie Unplanned and saw this movie that was my story. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is, I need this. I need this healing. Even though it had been 20 years before that I'd worked in the abortion industry, I knew that I needed that healing. And that is what we do it. And then there were none is there is a three phase healing process. So you go to a phase one healing retreat. Everyone who's completed a phase one can then go to a phase two. Everyone who's completed a phase two can then go to a phase three. We have licensed therapists and counselors on staff that are constantly checking in and talking with you. I mean, obviously with everything that's going on right now, everyone who's had anything to do with the abortion topic is being triggered because abortion is everywhere. Um, And so in that healing at that first retreat, you know, taking account for the number of abortions that you had been complicit in, you know, adding up how many abortions have you been complicit in, taking a specific story, a specific woman, a specific baby. For me, it was more the mothers because I dealt with the front end. For some of the workers, it was more the babies. Um, And so taking that one specific story and, you know, asking for forgiveness and praying through that with the Lord. Um, And so it is very specified to your work in the abortion industry. And there's something different about being with other people who've gone through that trauma. You know, I can empathize with a woman who has, has lost a spouse, but I've never lost a spouse. And so, you know, there's something about going, getting around other people who have been through what you've been through. And the reality is we could tell stories and it didn't shock anybody. You know, we could talk about the smell. We could talk about the sound. We could talk about the fact that the freezer was called the nursery. We could talk about all of these things that for the general population, if you say that, it's it's horrifying because it is horrifying. But we could talk about it and not have to feel any kind of shame um, and and realize that that was their experience too. And so there was a lot of healing even in just in just going through that. As I as I hear you describing the situation and the situation these people are in, I'm realizing one of the misconceptions that I know I have had, and I think this is something you're touching on, is not everybody who works in an abortion clinic is a monster. Mm. I mean, it's it's abhorrent what they do, but what you're what I'm hearing you say is some of them come around eventually and it's that, but it's that stigma after the fact, maybe even telling themselves, look, I'm not a monster. I mean, I guess you see what I'm trying to say. I mean, I think those of us in the pro-life movement come with this predisposed dispositional. Oh, you worked in the abortion industry. You're a monster period. And we write them off and that's not helpful. No, it's not. No, (laughs) it's not. Well, and, and the reality is not many of the women who work in the abortion industry are they themselves post-abortive, you know? And so part of what they are doing is they are trying to heal from their own trauma of abortion. Um, Many women who work in the abortion industry, not just women, but the people that work in the abortion industry, we have to understand that what the abortion industry does is they overcompensate people who are underqualified. And this is across the board. We have seen this across the board. And so that people are coming in at a certain uh, level of education or level of certification and making significantly more money working in this abortion facility. Also, a lot of times there are benefits like cell phones and, and something as simple as scrubs, you know, that are expensive. If you are a single mom with five kids 
and you're in the medical profession, you can't afford to go out and buy scrubs, but they'll provide you scrubs and they give you lunch. And there's this like showering of, um, of care on one hand, on one side for their workers. And these are people, abortion is a trauma response. And Abby said this stat at a conference we were at recently, which I didn't know, but I didn't doubt either. Of all of the workers who we have through, and then there were none, and again, that's nearly 630 of them, every one of them, except her, has childhood trauma. Every one of them. Now, that may be they were molested as a child. That may be they grew up in an abusive home. That may be there was domestic violence. That may be, you know, there's a lot of things that can go with that. But Every single one of them, except herself, has childhood trauma. And so abortion is a trauma response. You know, you're trying to fix something. And so these people that are working in the abortion industry, there are some that are absolute monsters. I'm not going to say there's not. That's usually the doctors. And that's usually the owners of the facility, which the people that are there working are not getting rich off of abortion. Now they are making more money probably than they would down the street, but they're not getting rich off the abortion. They do believe that they are helping women as much as we as pro-lifers know that they are hurting women. As much as we believe that our pregnancy resource center is helping women, they believe they are helping women. It's like Saul. They, there are scales over their eyes and they believe what they believe fully 100% wholeheartedly. And so that doesn't make them a monster. It makes them deceived 100%. It makes the actions that they're doing abhorrent 100%. But even those actions you get desensitized to. And that part of the ploy of the abortion industry is they take you in little by little by little by little. You know, they don't thrust you first day into the POC room where you're dealing with the contents of a uterus. They start you at the front desk and then they move you up into another level and then they move you up into another level. And then by the end, you're back there in the POC lab, but also understand that this is a clinical setting. So it's you're looking at it in a clinical matter. The morality of it is gone. There, this isn't a moral issue. This is a medical setting, or at least that's what you view it as. And so it's, I agree with you 100%. I think that the perception of workers needs to change. And that's hard, though. The, fa- the fact is, Scott, that is very hard when they're cussing and screaming at you and yelling at you and manifesting things as you're standing on the sidewalk and you see them going in. You know, it's hard to see that and be like, wow, that's a really deceived human being that Jesus loves. But the reality is that's it. I, re- I like that a lot. Um, maybe not monsters, but deceived. It's funny how we can apply that grace in other areas, mm-hmm. um, but mm-hmm. but when it comes to something like this, um, we don't want to. Some of us, I'll, I'll include myself. That's not our default. That sure. oh well, they're just you know they're deceived and they just need to you know they, they, no they're we we come at it as they're horrible monsters and they know it very well what they're doing and um, and and that's not always the case. Let's take yeah. a break. When we come back, we're going to uh, talk with Kelly a little bit more about the challenges of leaving the abortion industry once you're in. We'll come back with more here on Dear Jane. 
Are you a pregnancy center or pro-life organization that wants to grow your life-saving mission in a way that effectively reaches women who need help? At Choose Life Promo, our ultimate goal is to help organizations empower women to choose life. We take our design and marketing expertise to the next level, creating apparel, videos, and other items that are eye-catching and attractive, ripe with accurate information specifically for women that need support, and spread awareness about your pregnancy center to donors and potential supporters. At Choose Life Promo, our mission is to impact our culture, to choose life through communication strategies grounded in both research and biblical values. We want to give you promotional items that inspire donations and also educate the abortion-minded woman about your pregnancy center so she can receive the care and support she needs. Saving lives is always in style. Learn more at ChooseLifePromo.com. And we're back with Kelly Lester, who's the director of outreach for And Then There Were None. And we're talking about the challenges if someone is in the abortion industry and they want to leave, um, what's that look like? And so, Kelly, that would be my next question. How hard is it to leave the abortion industry? It's very hard. Um, it's <laughs> it's hard for a lot of reasons. One, it's hard because as we talked about earlier, you know, you really believe in this. And this is something that it becomes a cause for you. You know, it's not just a job. You are there protecting women's rights. And and so to leave that, even when you've had that breaking point, which usually that happens, it's hard because there's almost like a, um, there's a, you're, you're in this, you're trying to make sense of it. You know, you're trying to make sense of, this isn't what I should be doing, but I fought for this for so long, you know, and so you're going through that battle. So that's one area that's difficult. The second area is when you leave, you get shunned. It is very cult-like. It is very gang-like. You're not going to continue hanging out with the people that you worked with. It is a closed, tight circle. And so when you leave, you're basically walking away from all of those people. And, peop- and, and we know that. Like when you're, in the, when you're working in the abortion industry, you know that. The third thing is it's very difficult because the abortion provider will blacklist you. And we have had many, many, many people who have left the abortion industry and have had a very difficult time finding another job because Planned Parenthood or their local abortion provider has gone out and blacklisted them. And so it's hard to find another job. It's also hard to find another job making the same kind of money. It's hard to find another job working the same kind of hour, you know, with the same kind of benefits. Um, And so it is difficult. It is not an easy thing. Um, And a lot of times women have records, you know, they have felonies. They, a lot of times they have drug addiction. A lot of times they're still in domestic violence and all of these things that kind of go hand in hand with those that work in the abortion industry. And so getting healing from those things so that you can work another job. Um, compounds the difficulty. Um, But that is part of what we do it. And then there were none. So we help with transitional care. We realize that all of those things are realities and difficulties because we've all been there. And so what we want to do is we never want finances to be a reason that you stay in the abortion industry. And so we will help with transitional finances for these workers to find another until they can find another job. We also have a professional resume writer 
who will look at their resume and help them tailor their resume. We will help them search for jobs. So we will look to find them other jobs and help, you know, get them out. Um, and we've done that with countless workers. Um, some have stayed in the medical profession, some have left the medical profession and because they're now tainted to the medical profession because of their experiences. And so we will help them in that process um, because we know that it is very, very difficult. And, and a lot of the times that when they leave, they're not pro-life. I mean, when I left, I wasn't pro-life. It took a while for me to become pro-life. Um, but we do find over... The, you know, over history, um, as we continue working with them, that their views, some of them go from being pro-choice to pro-life with exceptions to pro-life without exceptions. You know, there is definitely kind of a, a walking through that with them. Um, but we don't require that from them in the beginning. We just want to get them out and get them healthy. They not have it all figured out. They just know they want out. Yes. Surprisingly, with everything that's going on right now with the closing of facilities, we hoped that there was going to be this huge influx of workers, of people that were in the industry that were fed up. And this was like, okay, now I can finally leave, you know, because they've closed. We have not seen that. I think what has happened, and Abby and I talked about this the other day, what we feel like has probably happened is actually the opposite, where because they were forced out of a job, they feel more tied to that cause and they feel more like this is something that we need to fight for and protect. It wasn't a willing leaving. It was, we're cutting you off. Um, and so pray as a, as a pro-life community, pray for those workers, pray for those people that maybe were on the fence that, you know, or even weren't on the fence that are now looking for jobs that they would come through our ministry because unfortunately we really have not seen the uptick like we had hoped. You described the challenges of leaving, and then we talked about earlier about, um, let's say, let's call it the challenges of receiving uh, as they enter into the pro-life community and, you know, just the, the stigma that they have. So it really is, you're suddenly uh, on an island pretty, pretty quickly, and I can imagine how painful that would be. Do, can pregnancy help centers have a role in, in, in helping the recovery for these folks? Absolutely. That's been one of my targets this past year um, is the pregnancy centers. And we are seeing workers come in through a pregnancy resource center and they come in one of four different ways. One, they themselves are pregnant and they don't want to go to their abortion facility that they work at because they're afraid they're going to be pushed to abort. And so they are going to the pregnancy resource center for the resources Two, they have left the abortion industry years ago and they are looking to redeem the time. And so, you know, they're trying, I mean, that's honestly, that's what I did. And so they are coming years after trying to help where they had hurt. Um, the third way is they are just literally walking out of the abortion industry and not knowing where to go. And so they come to the pregnancy resource center looking for help. The fourth way and probably the most popular or the most um common one that we are seeing is they are coming through abortion recovery ministry. And that is a really difficult one because like I said, for myself, part of the recovery process was forgiving the abortion worker and forgiving the person who performed the abortion. And so while I understand that, you know, I get that process as a worker, 
there was a shame that came to me. And so what we have been suggesting for anyone who runs a recovery ministry, um, on your application for entering the abortion recovery ministry, there's always a you know an application that you fill out. On that, to add a question that says, have you ever worked in the abortion industry? And it's very simple. And when you look at that, you will now know And our suggestion is that those people that you try to send them to us first so that we can get them healing from working in the abortion industry. And at bare bare minimum, then you are aware, hey, this person has worked in the abortion industry. And so maybe I need to be aware of that when I'm having the discussions. Um, But that's something, a way that abortion, I mean, a way that pregnancy centers can help Um, and a lot of the pregnancy centers, thankfully, from what we've been doing over the last you know, years and what Abby has done, is really change hearts and minds towards the abortion worker. And so most pregnancy centers um, are praying for the abortion workers in their area, You know, are hoping that they're going to come through the doors, a little nervous that they might, but hoping that they do. And so we have resources. If you are a pregnancy center director, um, you can contact me or contact and then there were none. And we have resources for you for when that happens, because we are hoping that it does. What else can the pro-life movement be doing? What should we be doing to um, reach reach these folks or when they do finally make that decision, support these folks? What else can we be doing better as a movement? I think the main thing that we need to be doing is praying. Plain and simple, point blank. Uh, there, People ask me all the time, what can we say on the sidewalk? There's nothing you can say on the sidewalk. There's nothing that you could have said on the sidewalk that would have changed my mind. What you can do is have the resource abortionworker.com, which leads them to, and then there were none. If you're a sidewalk advocate, you know, just standing with a sign or having that sign so that when that worker is ready to leave, they know where to go. Um, we definitely want people in the community to support them. But on the other hand, we have to be very careful with that because oftentimes the workers in the industry have participated in things that were not legal, quite honestly. They participated in things that um, go against medical ethics and go against the laws. And so we have to be very careful when we are having conversations with them and we are doing things that we are protecting them as they're trying to leave. And so our suggestion is always refer them to us um, because we have the resources and we have the skills. If you are a sidewalk counselor, you are a sidewalk advocate, your main focus is the women and men going into the abortion industry. And so while we want you to be praying for them, while if you have opportunity, you know, we want you to be a smiling face and we want you to be a welcoming voice and person for that worker. Your focus is not that worker. Your focus is the babies and the moms that are going in. And so don't get distracted. Sometimes I think sidewalk advocates can get a little bit distracted, worrying about the worker and the escorts and all of that stuff. They're not your focus. The mama and the baby are your focus. Um, But having that resource so that when that worker is ready to leave of abortionworker.com is a great thing. And we've actually seen, we have another ministry that Abby has called Love Line, which is a a crisis line. Um, We've had uh, escorts and people inside the abortion facility giving that number to women who've decided that they want to carry. And so, you know, it does work um, being a loving, peaceful, prayerful presence outside of abortion facilities does work. Um, 
but just mostly praying. You know, you cannot change their mind. Only God can change their mind. Only scales coming off their eyes. Only that situation that's the final straw is the only thing that's going to change their mind. Um, but being a welcoming person for if they do, you know where to direct them. Sounds like as a pro-life movement, we've got some work to do. Not only to just to, to help these folks, but to change our thinking of them um, and and just coming alongside them and supporting them when they find, when those scales finally do fall off. Um, I think, uh, you know, we would be quick to, I think sometimes we're quick to shun these folks because of their past. Um, and we need to be doing the exact opposite. Um, yeah. So that's, that's really insightful. Kelly, I really do thank you for the insight. Thank you so much. Again, the website is abortionworker.com. Uh, if you know of anyone who needs resources or who might be in that position, you need to check out the website. Kelly, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Have a great day. The emotions and fears women face with unexpected pregnancies are very real and can feel overwhelming. They're not looking for another person to impress their view upon them or tell them the choice is simple. They're looking for hope in a world of despair, confusion, and doubt. For the pro-life movement to truly achieve its goal of a culture of life, we must be able to reach the abortion-minded woman effectively. We have to be that beacon of light that understands her fear and confusion and empowers her with the confidence necessary to choose life. But how do we really reach her? Enter the Choose Life Coalition. We exist to help provide organizations and legislators with the tools to effectively reach and equip the abortion-minded woman, empowering her with the hope and confidence to choose life in post-Roe America. Learn more at ChooseLifeCoalition.org and receive the training, support, marketing, and other resources you need to successfully understand, reach, and serve her. On this edition of People You Should Know, we introduce you to Angelique Clark, founder of Life Dress, a nonprofit dedicated to abolishing abortion through mind-changing conversations sparked by what we wear. Angelique paints unique apparel with pro-life messages. Hand-painted pro-life dress starts conversations, it stops people in their tracks, and makes you kind of do a double take, and it creates conversation, it creates engagement. And that's really how we will actually change cultures if we can you know, make people stop and think. Angelique says her passion started when she tried to begin a pro-life group at her high school and was rejected. She soon became involved with Students for Life. And from there, they actually helped me you know, get connected with a legal firm, get, get to connected with, um, you know, press release, sending out press releases. And eventually this became national news. I had to file a lawsuit. And it was from all of this crazy, like, just, you know, jumping into the deep end straight that I realized that this is something that I really need to dedicate my life to, because if this is going to cause such a huge scene, just, you know, little old me trying to start a pro-life club on my campus, and it creates this huge controversy, certainly this has to be a big deal. She says it wasn't long after the dresses took off that people were asking for more. As soon as that kind of started getting going, I started getting requests for all kinds of other things, you know, jean jackets, uh, men wanted men's ties, um, skirts, you know, anything you can possibly wear, I can paint for life messages on it. Angelique says life dress is a way to use art to spark change for life. 
we see the world differently across the globe. But one thing that we can actually all agree upon and see equally is creativity and art. You know, you show a picture of a baby, a mother and her child anywhere in the world, and people understand what that means because it is a universal experience. So just like the one thing that we all share equally is our humanity, we also can share an understanding of art and how it has an impact on our culture. And those those conversations can turn into minds changed, hearts moved, and ultimately that is how we can end abortion. My thanks to Kelly Lester with And Then There Were None for joining me today on Dear Jane. I had no idea it was so hard to leave the abortion industry once you were in it, although I guess I shouldn't be surprised. How do you feel after hearing Kelly's comments and experiences? I have a lot of mixed emotions, to be honest. When she talked about how abortion workers refer to the freezer as the nursery, it made me both nauseous and furious at the same time. But then I also understand that we must show love to these folks, especially when they come to realize that they've been doing the wrong thing and they want to start on a new path. If you do know of someone who is trying to get out, steer them to abortionworker.com. And if you happen across someone who used to work in the industry, try to remember that shunning them because of their past is not going to save lives moving forward. Dear Jane is a production of the Choose Life Coalition. You can learn more at ChooseLifeCoalition.org. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends about Dear Jane. Thank you for listening.